So let me start again, third time of doing so, by giving you uh, an overall picture of what God through his word tells us about himself. I make no apology for repetition. Uh, the Bible often says things two, three, four, many, many times in many cases because we need to hear them until we've heard it and heard it and heard it we don't catch it. These are what we call the attributes of God as he has revealed himself to us. God is eternal, infinite, omnipresent. He inhabits all time, all space. He has no boundaries, no measure. He more than fills the cosmos. He's self-existent, self-sufficient, immutable, which means unchangeable. He's without beginning, without end. He does not need to change because by his very nature he's eternal. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally three in one. One God in three persons. He's omniscient. He's both all-knowing and all-wise. He doesn't need information. We need data, don't we? You know, you run out of data on your phone. God doesn't need any data. He knows all things. He already knows everything, and he therefore makes no mistakes. He doesn't need to change his plans because he knows the end from the beginning. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He has all authority. Let me remind you again that the word power, we, nowadays we, we, we equate to batteries and electricity and volts and amps and ohms and all this. Power in the Bible is about authority. God can speak a word which makes things happen. That's the level of his authority. Because he is those things, he is sovereign. He rules over everything. Nothing happens without his permission. That doesn't mean it's his intention. There are things that happen simply because he permits them to be. They're not his plan, but they, nevertheless he allows them to happen. He's sovereign. He's spirit. He is not a creature, he's the creator. He never was a man, he never was something else. He is the creator of all things. He's not finite, he's infinite. Yet God, the infinite son, became man for us. In fact, not even, we don't even measure that from his birth, but from the time that he was a fetus in the womb of Mary and yet he was still ruling the world. God is holy. Indeed, that's the only expression about God that gets tripled up. He is holy, holy, holy. Uh, we saw that in Hebrews 12, 29, our God is consuming fire. You can, I think there's still some copies of that CD if you want to pick one up. God is true. He is truth and there is no lie in him, no deception in him. He is righteous. Another way scripture presents that is to say that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is just, based in his knowledge, his wisdom, his holiness, his truth, all the other attributes. He is the judge of all and when he judges he will do what is absolutely right. And then he is love. God acts towards us in grace and mercy that flow out of his own character, out of his heart we may say. It's out of his love we experience his goodness, his mercy, his grace. Let me give you a quote from the Westminster Catechism. They used to teach this to kiddies, would you believe? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, purity, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. That's worth putting on a fridge magnet, I would say. God is who he says he is and we have his word on it. We don't invent an image of God. We're looking to the scriptures to find out who God says he is. That's one of the battles nowadays. People think they know who God is. And they want to tell us about this God that they, that they think they know. We have to come to the scriptures and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm seeking to know who he is by what he says about himself. 
how he self-reveals. We're thinking today about the goodness or love of God. You can't separate the goodness of God from his other attributes nor make his goodness bigger than his other attributes. So you say, well, he, he's not really so. He's not really going to judge people or he's, he's not really going to be angry with sin because, you know, he's, God's, you know, God's good, God's love. That's the danger that we magnify and diminish within the things that God has said about himself. Here's a quote from, uh, I just found this as an online article. This is a great quote by a guy called Bob Deffenbauer. Never heard of him before. But the goodness of God is a character trait which applies to every other attribute. God's wrath is good. God's holiness is good. God's righteousness is good. God is good in his entirety. There is nothing about God that is not good. There is nothing God purposes for his children that is not good. God gives to his children only that which is good. And he withholds nothing good from us. God is good and he is at work in our lives for good. Nothing which God creates, nothing which God accomplishes is not good. Thank you very much, Bob, for that. Let's look at what the scriptures say. Now, we, we, I read it from Psalm 105, was it earlier? 107, 107. This turns up all over the place in the scriptures and particularly in the Psalms. A couple of dozen times. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It's repeated again and again. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a chorus in the song. You come back to it again and again. The Lord is good and he's steadfast. Some versions even have covenant love endures forever. To sum it up in Psalm 119, you are good and do good. Now I need to deal with something here. It's a little, excuse me, I, I feel I have to do it this way. God is love. The Bible says God is love. And people bring that to us as an accusation when we talk about you know, issues of human morality and sexual morality and, and, and family life and all sorts of things. They say, yeah, but God is love. You can't talk like that because God is love. Have you ever heard that one? They try to argue as well that because God is good and God is love that this and that shouldn't happen. He ought to be stopping it, you know? Let me read to you what that comes from. 1 John, chapter 4. Twice in this passage we read God is love. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to try not to add anything until we get to the end of it. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. By this the love, was, love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. We've seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God's abide in him, abides in him and he in God. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, the love, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So twice in the passage of Scripture we read God is love. But what kind of love? Context. What kind of love is the passage talking about? It is the love of the Father that put Jesus on the cross for us. It is the love of Jesus who willingly gave himself for us and it is the love that we are to have for one another as Christian brothers and sisters for Jesus' sake. That is the love that this chapter is talking about. What this passage of scripture does not say is love is God. and That is the way people turn this around. They're not arguing God is love. They're arguing love is God. That wherever you find love, that's God, isn't it? That's the basic mistake. Thinking every kind of love must come from God. No, that's not what the Bible is saying here. It's talking about specific kind of love that God is. It's atoning. It's redeeming. It's, it, 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 it's reforming. It, it's justifying. Men, you see, can love wickedness and violence and perversion and wealth. There are many things that people call love which are not of God. You can't argue that a love or a kind of relationship that God forbids is nevertheless one he allows because he's love. He's already forbidden that relationship in his goodness. Beware of that false philosophy, you know, that love is God's. It, it comes, goes back to New Age and the Beatles and Maharajas and all sorts of people, you know, back to the 60s or so. Sadly, many Christians have accepted it and repeat it. They, they think like this. Love is something true of God, but love is not God, said A.W. Tozer. God is love, but love is not God. Do not characterize all loves as being from God. It's not true. Now we know how to say this sort of thing, don't we? God is good. All the time. God is good. Amen. I hope that will become a very sincere profession before we finish. I like old gospel music and one of the things that gospel artists sometimes riff is, he's been better to me than I've been to myself. You know? a bit more, that was a bit more New England than New Orleans, I think, but never mind. I want to see if we can walk this and not just talk it. Okay? That God is good. I want to remind you, first of all, that the goodness of God is contested, fiercely contested. In the beginning, God made all things and he looked upon them and said they were good. Why? Because he'd made them. They were his own work. They reflected his character. Everything God made was good. And then beyond those, six, those seven days, the seventh day of rest, something happened. God's instructions to Adam and Eve not to eat of that tree were good. It was for their good, was it? Yes. His restriction was for their good. His commandment was for their good. But the serpent sought to represent God as less than good. He implied that God was holding something back from them. He deceived them into thinking that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would not ruin them but improve them. 
And the hinge of history in the Garden of Eden was Adam and Eve being persuaded by Satan's charge against the character of God. And the question sown into the human soul still hangs over humanity today. Is God good? Can he be trusted? Now, I, I did write some notes about how you deal with the accusations of atheists, but I put them in footnote at the end, page eight of your notes. If you want to read them sometime, fine. I'm not going to preach them here, because if there's any atheist here this morning, good morning, you're very welcome, but I'm not going to talk to you directly. Right. <laughs> I'm going to preach to the, most of the people in the room. So let me say that the question, how good is God, was framed by Satan in the beginning as an accusation against God. He wasn't as good as he seemed. He couldn't be trusted to the best for Adam and Eve, for men and women. That fight of faith still goes on today. We, emerging here this morning, need to determine our answer individually to the question, how good is our God? And the answer matters because in at least two of the parables where Jesus talked about the master and his servants, the servants misbehaved themselves because they misrepresented the character of their master. I knew that you were a hard man. You have everyone? That's the way they judge the master. And so that's the way they behave. So how we view the character of God really matters because we'll live like that. We need to understand God's goodness in a fallen world. The goodness of God or the love of God is not an easy doctrine. In fact, Donald Carson, D.A. Carson, Don Carson wrote a book which I read again this week, The the Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. I've got five points which I'm borrowing from him. I'm owning up to that. They're really good. We'll get there in a minute. It's because when we talk about God's goodness, we then look at but so-and-so's ill and that horrible thing happened. All of this. We We are negotiating, understanding the goodness of God in a fallen world with fallen people. Where there is evil at work. Where there are There is hurt, there are disasters, there are diseases, there are all sorts of things. And those things cause us difficulty and dilemma. We need to negotiate that. Bad bad staff, (laughs) bad, bad staff.